Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 55 of the show, and I am joined this week by my beautiful friend and co-host, Kelly Gordon. This week's discussion is called, Stand in the Place Where You Are. And I suppose we were a little bit inspired by REM and that title, but what we really wanted to do is explore the ways that the places that you live shape the person that you become. So I think it's going to be a super fascinating show, but before we get to it, just you're going to have to imagine for a minute that we have on our party hats, we have mm-hmm. our confetti cannons ready, because we are also in the midst of celebrating Sorta Awesome's first birthday, right, Kelly? Yes, all the confetti, all the glitter toward all the awesomes out there listening. That's right. If you follow us on social media, you probably saw it over the weekend. Our official first birthday was just last Saturday, April 9th. And it was a big deal for us. And you guys have treated us so well. We've gotten so many great comments and that sort of thing. So if you don't already follow us on Instagram or on Facebook, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We are really everywhere on the social media. I don't think we're on Snapchat yet, but I'm sure that's like a work in progress. We're going to get that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'll let you take up that part. Yeah, I just I just surprised Megan with that announcement. Yes. <laughs> Official <laughs> sort of awesome announcement that we're going to Snapchat, people. Anyway, the point is, we are all over social media. We love to connect with you guys, and we have some surprises planned for our birthday month. So be sure, if you aren't already, to follow us across all the platforms where you like to frequent and visit so that you can be in on the party too. That's right. That's right. Stay tuned for more birthday goodness from us. But we have just already had so much fun celebrating with you guys. Kelly, a year. I cannot even. I cannot believe it. It And it's just been such a surprise, like such a good year. One of those things, and we were just talking, you guys, right before we started about how a year ago, we were like, well, what the heck? You know, I mean, it wasn't quite that easy. But, you know, Megan was like, let's start a podcast. And we were all like, sure. Yes. Megan's going to do this. Let's just jump on board. Right. We didn't really know. And now here we are a year later. And this has become such a labor of love and of passion and of just joy for all of us, I really think. It is yep. a great, great milestone for us. It is a great joy for all four of us on the Sorta Awesome team, for sure. I'm speaking for Laura and Rebecca right now, but we have loved the feedback so far. So yes, like Kelly said, stay tuned because we have more surprises coming up for you all as we celebrate. But let's go ahead and start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. We're going to do things a little bit differently this week. I'm going to go ahead and get us started because, friends, I need to tell you that my Awesome of the Week is very awesome, and I am very excited to tell you about it, but it is not the kind of discussion that you want maybe little ears listening to. So if you have little ears around listening, or maybe you're listening in your cubicle at work, and you've got it on speaker, you may want to go ahead and pop in your earbuds, or just push pause, or even you can skip through the next five or so minutes as I talk about my Awesome of the Week, and then we'll go to Kelly's. So my Awesome of the Week is a book that I just picked up a few days ago. After that intro, I think everybody was like, oh, it's just a book. (laughs) I was getting worried. 
Who knew what that was leading to? But it's a good book. Go on. Do tell about the book. Okay, it is. It's just a book, but I am loving it so much. I'm quickly becoming a huge evangelist for it. I'm telling all of my girlfriends about it. Kelly, I know you just picked up a copy of this too. It's called Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. And it is from a woman named uh, Dr. Emily Nagoski. She is a woman who has her PhD in health behavior and human sexuality. She is a sex educator and has been for many years. And she also happens to be a very talented and very engaging writer. So a friend of ours, Kelly, yours and mine, a mutual friend of ours, suggested that some of us in our little circle of friends might like to read it together. Now, this is a friend that I've known for many years, and I actually know her well enough to know that she has a very active and healthy and happy sex life. And so I thought, well... If she's raving about it and is trying to get all of us to read it, I I need to look into this. So I went ahead and got it. I am loving it. Now, granted, I do want to say from the beginning, and if you look at it up on Amazon, you'll this will be clear right away. It is not written from the perspective of any kind of like religious or spiritual background. Um, Dr. Nagoski, Emily, she is a scientist. She does a great job with writing about the science of sex. So I have to tell you, I'm just a few chapters in. But Kelly, I am all in on this. I wanted to read just a little bit from the introduction. So she's talking about, she spends a a little bit of time in the introduction, just kind of talking about why she would even want to write this book. And um, she's talking about how the science of how we understand sex has changed through the years. She says, until very recently, that's how it's been for sex. We mostly have been guessing about it. But we're at a pivotal moment in sex science because after decades of research describing what happens, the actual what happens in human sexual response, we're finally figuring out why and how the process underlying the behavior. So yeah, that, that was very interesting from the beginning. You know, I think Kelly, a lot of people sort of in our age range have maybe grown up hearing things like, well, you know, when it comes to being ready for sex, men are, they're like microwaves and women are just slow cookers. I have heard that. It doesn't elicit Uh, a great response in me, but I have heard that my whole life. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's stupid nonsense. (laughs) It's actually way more complicated and more nuanced and actually more wonderful than that. And and that's not just my opinion. That's what the actual science says. So she kind of starts out in the opening chapters talking about what we have understood, but also misunderstood about just like basic human anatomy, the differences, the similarities between male and female sexual organs. Um, I have to tell you that some of it is information just in talking about the anatomy. Some Mm -hmm. of it is information that as a 38-year-old woman who I consider myself fairly well-educated, I had never heard before. And sometimes the science is always changing too. So you think you know it, and then they go, actually, all that stuff you learned when you were in high school, the science is now outdated, and we know way more more right. correct information today. That's so true. Yes. Yeah. So this is the this is the very cutting edge science that she goes through and talks about. And then she goes on to explore a really super important concept in understanding the why behind how we as women experience sex. She talks about the gas pedal and the brakes of our sexual desire. So that is super fascinating in chapter two. It's again, information that I have never come across before. And then she goes on to talk about how pivotal the concept of context is for Mm. whether or not we are enjoying sex. And she talks a lot about context. So context, it's not just for reading comprehension anymore. (laughs) It's for sex too. (laughs) So then, Kelly, through the later chapters, she really builds on that scientific framework that she lays in the early chapters. And the great news is she makes a lot of practical application. She talks a lot about the roles of stress and also shame in the lives of women, how that affects our sex lives. So much great information overall. In fact, the key thing, I think that the heart of her mission in this book and that she emphasizes over and over is to assure women that no matter where you are on the scale in your sex life, whether you have an aversion to sex, whether you highly enjoy it, wherever you are on that spectrum, you are normal. She emphasizes that over and over again. In fact, there's another quick passage that I wanted to read from early on in the book. So she writes, here's what I need you to know right now. 
The information in this book will show you that whatever you're experiencing in your sexuality, whether it's challenges with arousal, desire, orgasm, pain, no sexual sensations, it is the result of your sexual response mechanism functioning appropriately in an inappropriate world. You are normal. It's the world around you that's broken. And then she says, that's actually the bad news. The good news is when you understand how your sexual response mechanism works, you can begin to take control of your environment and your brain in order to maximize your sexual potential, even in a broken world. And when you change your environment and your brain, you can change and heal your sexual functioning. Wow. Yes. Isn't that so hopeful and helpful? I am so excited to read this book. Like you said, I did just pick it up. I have not started reading it yet. And one of the other reasons I'm excited about it is not only to learn all this for me, but to learn it for my daughters. Yes. Because I have a new teenage daughter and I have one in second grade who will, you know, obviously be growing up. And so I am eager for information to set them up, I guess, with the best information. I feel like a lot of us at this age, as we said, and this is not a slam on our parents or that generation at all, but we just learn more every time that we go through this, I think, generationally. Yes, yes. And so we feel like we just didn't know so much or we just didn't understand and there was a lot of gaps. And so we want, of course, we're not going to do it perfectly either, but I'm so excited to have some of this information to be able to share it with my daughters hopefully equip them and empower them to be women who understand and embrace their sexuality. So I am excited for this. So great. Prior to reading this book, there was only one other book that I felt like every woman across the board should read. In fact, the younger, the better. And that's Tony Wexler's Taking Charge of Your Fertility, Mm -hmm. which I still believe every woman should have a working knowledge of how her reproductive system works. So I am adding this book. I feel like every woman, whether again, whether you have a happy, vibrant sex life, whether you are not even sexually active right now for whatever reason, or if you are experiencing challenge and trouble in the area of your sex life, I think every woman should read this because we owe it to ourselves and to our partners, honestly, to understand what is going on with women when it comes to sex. And then, like you said, if you have younger women in your life, your daughters, your nieces, women who are younger, so that they can be a generation who is empowered to know how all of this works and to be able to not just endure their sex life, but to actually really enjoy it. So, right. yes. so again, the name of the book is Come As You Are by Dr. Emily Nagoski. You can go to sortaawesomeshow.com slash Amazon. That will take you right to Amazon's homepage. Look up this book. And of course, we'll also have a link in the show notes. So, yes. And are we done with that now? Because I would like to slap a huge, that's what she said, with everything. (laughs) That's what she said. That's what she said. (laughs) I honestly, I went through what I was going to say about this book. And I was like, I'm going to take out any euphemisms or any entendre that I accidentally included. You guys who are listening, you know, right now you can go and take the muffled headphones off of your children if that's how you chose to protect them from this. We're, We're just about done with the bad stuff. But you know that... It's really hard sometimes to stifle, like, that's what she said. So I feel very happy that we made it through because it is a good book. It's a very serious book. And even she's a little cheeky, obviously. If you go look at the title and the cover of the book, you'll go, oh, she's, she's, she knows. She is very funny, but also very scientific. It's a perfect book about sex. It really is. So, okay, Kelly. Okay. Let's hear about yours. (laughs) We're going to take it a totally different direction, people. So my awesome of the week is something that's kind of an old but new awesome. You know how that works? Sometimes something that was so great in your life a few years ago, and then it's kind of faded away. But it's come back now, and it is a website called smartappsforkids.com. Okay. I first discovered it on Facebook. They have a Facebook page, too, and, you know, it's pretty active there. But the reason I discovered it was... My kids were at that age, especially my younger ones, where they wanted to play on my iPad or, you know, at that point, I still let them play on my phone. Now they're banned from my phone. Um, (laughs) But I didn't really want to pay for games for them to play, especially if I didn't know how good they were. You know, they were getting all these silly games. and I'm like, oh, my word. So I, I stumbled across this website and it was really, truly a wonderful thing and still is. What they do is not only do they review apps for kids. But they also are always linking out and at least every Friday to the free apps of the week, free apps of the day, 
best free apps. So you can go on this website and even just check out one of their mini lists that they have. They have like the top 100 apps for preschoolers. They'll have like the top free apps. Um, And like I said, every week they have a new list of what's free right now because a lot of the app manufacturers to generate interest and buzz will sometimes take an app that might be three, four, five dollars and drop it to free for a limited time so that you can go in and get it. So it really gave me a great starting point to not only get fun apps for my kids, but educational apps for my kids. They have a whole list of free apps that are Lego. Oh, fun. Super cute. I mean, really, sometimes you think, oh, well, this is going to be a free app. They're going to try to, this is going to be basic and kind of boring and they're going to try to get me to buy something. No, really, the Lego apps are amazing. My kids have loved those. They have a bunch of Fisher-Price ones, Um, even Disney apps that are free. Some of them do include in-app purchases, but I think almost every phone, whether it's Android or, you know, an Apple product, you can turn that off. Definitely turn that off. Definitely, Um, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But you can get some really smart apps. And the reason that I've kind of re-engaged with it is that we have gotten so many great apps over the years. I would think um, like we had an Elmo Loves ABCs and that was an app to teach preschoolers ABCs. Super, I think it's normally like a five or six dollar app and I got it free because it happened to be that free week. And it teaches them like they're drawing on the iPad, you know, where they're tracing their letters and there's little Elmo clips that are put in with it. Really, I mean, my now kindergartner last year, he just loved that because every time you fill out a letter and you do it correctly, you get kind of rewarded with a little video. All the Lego ones have been super fun. They have for both my son and my daughter who are in elementary school, they have loved building things on the app, creating new things. Um, There's little games to play and they kind of follow some of the Lego books. If you know, like it's like Lego zoo or, you know, Duplo firefighters, that sort of a thing. And then they also have, because this is autism awareness month, right? Yes. They have specific apps that are free this month, specifically for kids who are on the spectrum. Oh, that's so great. So it's a really, if you have, or either a child who has autism or um, a friend, a coworker, it has been a great resource for my friends to be able to say, hey, look, here's some, because we all, a lot of us know that some of the kids on the autism spectrum, really that iPad time, that screen time to come down to separate from the environment that they're in can be so helpful. So helpful, so helpful. yes. So these apps are specifically designed with those needs in mind. So I would just encourage you to check it out. Smartappsforkids.com is the website. Or again, you can like them on Facebook and then things will just, you know, theoretically pop up in your feed. But it's just a great resource for anybody who has kids in their life. If they want to have apps on their devices that are going to be smart, engaging, fun, and possibly free that you can get and keep those kids busy. That's so great. I have never heard of that. But you know, the twins, actually, they're three and mm. they've seen the girls playing on the iPad or they're, the girls have um, old phones of ours that they are sort of use as iPods. They've seen that for years, but we've never really uh, gotten them started on their own. But now I'm going to look and see if there's some that would be great for little three-year-old boys to check out. Okay, well, we will definitely put a link to that in the show notes as well. Okay, well... Today, Kelly and I thought it would be so interesting to explore the idea of where you're from, where you live, and how that shapes the person that you have become and that you are today. And so that's why we wanted to play around with this idea of stand in the place where you are, just thinking about these spots on the earth and how they inform the people that we have become. You know, Kelly, I honestly did not realize really how much being an Oklahoman and identifying as an Oklahoman is part of my identity until I realized I talk about Oklahoma a lot on the show. I've noticed that as I listen back, you know, as I'm working on the show, I'm like, wow, that it comes up a lot. It really is a significant part of who I am. But I thought it'd be so fun if we started with what are some of the assumptions about where each of us live? What are some of the things that people might assume to be true about where we live? And then are those things accurate or inaccurate? And Kelly, I would love to hear from you first. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk about Minnesota first because kind of like you, I said yes when you said I'm talking a lot about Oklahoma because I also have found when I've listened to past podcasts that I mentioned Minnesota in the North and where I live a lot because it has also become a huge part of my identity. So if I tell someone that I live or used to live, grew up in Minnesota, the first thing they say is, Oh, it's cold up there, isn't it? 
right? I have to admit, that's what I think of That's too. the first thing. It's yes. a really easy one to identify when people say, what would be the assumption, kind of the stereotype. So it is cold up here. You know, <laughs> the stereotype is half true. It's true for a reason. I looked it up. And so our average January high is in the 20s. Oh, Mary. Fahrenheit, <laughs> like that's you know, just average. And then yeah. our low is would be in the single digits, which would be for our Canadian other friends who speak Celsius, that would be like below minus four for our high, minus 13 for our lows. So that's kind of, that's, that's cold for most people. Now, most Minnesotans yeah. would say 20s with sun is awesome. Oh like it's gosh. perfect because yeah. we all, we, you know, you have the snow and that sort of thing. So we don't mind it as much as other people. I think when it starts to get, you know, the bitter cold, which really that we don't consider that to be bitter cold. Um, but that's cold yes, for most of the U.S. It's pretty brutal if you ask me. Probably the next thing people would think about Minnesota, and this is true too, is that we are also ex- kind of extreme. I think this would probably be similar to Oklahoma. You know, we live in the very center of this continent of North America. And so we are very far from the moderating effect of the oceans. Mm -hmm. Anybody who lives in a coastal region, the closer you get to the ocean, the more moderate your weather becomes or more static. Yes. So the farther you get from the oceans, and of course there's other things that influence it, but the more extreme and volatile your weather can be. So, you know, in the summer, we're not hot, but we do get up. People sometimes stay, say, does it ever get warm there? And I'll talk about swimming and they're like, wait, you can swim? (laughs) Yeah, you can swim. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> July, our average like July high is in the mid 80s. Our lows are in the mid 60s. So we're not hot, like I'm sure you'll talk about Oklahoma a little bit, but we definitely get warm enough yeah. that you can go outside and enjoy. And the other thing I think people think of when they think of Minnesota, I'm not sure, but we are the big woods, the right. big woods of Wisconsin, really. That right. was where Laura Ingalls yes. lived, but it's a lot of forests. And a lot of water. There's this statistic that Minnesotans like to throw around that says that Minnesota has more shoreline than California, Hawaii, and Florida combined. I had no idea. And it's true because we are we are so much water because of the glaciers that came down. So what, you know, just lakes everywhere. That's what our license plates say. Don't you always think, is the license plate correct? Like <laughs> what it says about different states. I'm so fascinated. I love to find those state license plates and see what, it, you know, the things that they put on it. What are they representing? And ours shows like woods and a loon possibly and water. And it will say land of 10,000 lakes. That's we have great. all that Wait, water. I have to tell you this really funny. When I was growing up, the Oklahoma state license plate said, Oklahoma is okay. <laughs> I remember that actually, because it was kind of sad. Actually, people it's a terrible really marketing idea. That's, it's that's okay. all you got. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry for interrupting. Let's okay. go ahead. <laughs> well, the other place I wanted to talk about, because if anybody's listened to the show for any length of time, the other place I talk about all the time is my second home is San Diego in Southern California. Yes. We lived there for about a decade. And I did love it. I think the stereotype of San Diego is, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, Like it's perfection. It's paradise in the U.S. And really, right. again, it is, <laughs> especially if you're talking weather, you know, it is very static. Again, the ocean, you're really close to the ocean. So San Diego proper doesn't change much. The average highs, the average lows, doesn't get much water. So you really hardly ever have to think about rain and the way it would you know impact your life or even right. cold weather and the way it would impact your life. It's almost always in the 70s and almost always sunny. The exception to that, and I just have to say because I think it surprises people, and I think this is probably all the Southern California area, May and June uh-huh. are cloudy and cool um, because what happens is you, in San Diego, when the weather forecast is given, they actually have to give four different forecasts because you have such different little zones there. So they talk about the coastal, the inland, the mountains, and the desert. Oh, so interesting. I had no idea. So they'll, you know, and of course those areas can can vary. So what happens in May and June is the desert, inland, not that far from the ocean, is really heating up. And so it pulls in this coastal layer, this marine layer. And so then San Diego gets kind of cool. That's it though. I mean, it is a really beautiful part of the country. So those are kind of the stereotypes that I would think of that people it's a good stereotype for San Diego. I love that it's like, it's it's so nice there, isn't it? And you're like, yeah, it, it really, really is. is. Yes. It's a nice stereotype. So about Oklahoma, I kind of suspect, I'll see if I'm right. What do you think that people think of when they think Oklahoma? Okay, I think when people think of Oklahoma that they might think it's all like tornadoes and 10-gallon hats. <laughs> 
Which is maybe partially true. (laughs) A little accurate. (laughs) (laughs) You know, thanks to things in um, popular culture like uh, the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Oklahoma, where he talks about the wind sweeping down the plains. That is very, very accurate. Painfully true how windy it can be here. And also you have like the movie Twister and really talking about that really explores the whole uh, storm chasing phenomenon that happens because we do get a lot of tornadoes. We do. It's a fact of life here in Oklahoma. The cowboy thing, uh, we have, there is a lot of cowboy culture here, for sure. So I think people think of those things when they think of Oklahoma, and and that's pretty accurate in a lot of ways. Now, there's also, there's cities and there's um, things that are not in any way related to uh, cowboy culture. There's a wonderful, since even since I have come back to this state as an adult, there has been a new, like a sort of renaissance, a resurgence in exploring and appreciating and celebrating Native American culture here, mm-hmm. which is a huge part of our state. Right. So there's lots of things going on outside of tornadoes and cowboy hats. But those are actually, you know, pretty legitimate markers for the state. I'm afraid that people probably tend to think of some of our wackadoo politics that come out of our state. I'm not going to go into that, but there are definitely uh, things that happen here politically that, um, that, that raise some eyebrows and that definitely there's more than a few Oklahomans who we just are just shaking our heads over here. Well, so. Minnesota elected Jesse Ventura as governor. <laughs> so you will get no side eye from us because we have had our downfall. Right, so right. Yes. Every place has its moments. One last thing that people may think of, people in probably in our age group, Kelly, and, and those maybe who are older than us, might think of the 1995 bombing of the Murrah Federal Building here in Oklahoma City. That was a major act of domestic terrorism here in our country. Um and certainly a huge marker and a, a very devastating moment in the, the history of our country and certainly in our state. I hope that people think of the, re, the resiliency of the, mm-hmm. of the people of Oklahoma, the recovery, how we came together as a state and how that has genuinely left a mark on us, who we are and how we um, function together as a community in this state. So that's another thing that people may think of that's not quite as silly as some of our other, other things, but is very, very much true for the people of Oklahoma. I think one of the things that got us thinking about this whole topic, Kelly, you and I as ENFPs, we definitely, we assign a lot of meaning to things. (laughs) So way back in episode 32 last fall, when Sarah Bessie, our wonderful dear friend Sarah Bessie came on the show, one of the things I asked her about was what she loved about being Canadian, because being Canadian is a very solid part of her identity that she speaks about a lot in her writing and her speaking. So I asked her about that, about what it is about living in Canada that speaks to her so much. So let's let's go back in time a little bit and listen to what Sarah had to say about being Canadian. You know, but I love the people and I love, um, you know, the pace of it. I love the space. Yeah, it's just, it's got, it's just definitely home in a, in a lot of different ways. But I think that that's, you know, I have found that, um, you know, so many areas of our life, we kind of almost live our metaphors pretty effortlessly at times. Sure. And for me, I have found it, whether it's in my spirituality or whether it's in anywhere, I like a little bit of room. You know, I, I struggle against really tight boundaries and really, you know, narrow narrow things, I really kind of kick against it. So I love the idea of being on kind of like the edge in the West, you know, this youth and energy and optimism, and yet this really deep connection with the land and with people. And I don't know, I think there's a lot of things about, you know, being Canadian that are just wonderful. Okay, so yeah, I think you can hear in Sarah's reflections there, how those wide open spaces of Western Canada really speak to her and really are such an important part of her recognizing how much space she needs in her own life and how she seeks that out. I love what she said about living our metaphors. I know that that is a phrase that stuck out for you and for me Mm -hmm. when that episode came out. And we've kind of tossed this idea around back and forth. How do we live our metaphors? And how does the place that we live in reflect some of the metaphors in our lives? So Kelly, I would love to hear how you are living out some of those metaphors yourself. Yeah, I mean, that was such a profound sort of thing. It's one of those statements, one of those phrases, living out your metaphors that clicked for me that I thought, oh, that's what it is. And it was really deep for me. I thought about the fact that we have now been back in Minnesota for about 10 years, a little bit more, and how important it has been, this place where I live, how it has shaped my life. And the metaphor that I think is probably 
in some ways the most obvious, but it's been the most deep for me is the seasonal metaphor. Yes. I mean, Minnesota, like a lot of the U.S., has four very distinct seasons. And that is my metaphor because life is seasons. I mean, we say that a lot in the show. We kind of joke about it. You're always like, well, this is just a season. It's just a season of life. But it's true. We say it because it's true. You know, we're young, then we're old. We have great joy in our life and great despair. Those are the seasons of the heart. What the seasons outside my window teach me about the seasons that are going on in my heart is really amazing. So that has been my biggest metaphor. I think really spring yes. is the, the one that if I had to pull out of all the seasons, I said, or you said in the episode that you and Rebecca talked about spring, that it is my least favorite season. You said my it's fourth, your fourth favorite, fourth favorite season. <laughs> which is just I don't such want to say a perfect least. way to say it. I don't want to say least. It is my fourth favorite season. But you know what? Spring has taught me the most. Isn't that sad in some ways? I think because it oh, is gosh. my... F- yeah, I think that's so true in all it's of so life. True. Those right. actually really are such the learning times for sure. Right. And, and it's going through it now, the metaphor of spring, especially because when spring begins in Minnesota and many places in the North, it doesn't come as quickly as it does in other places. It is muddy and rainy and cold and gray. So it's just, there's nothing good in the beginning part of spring. It's it's just not happy. <laughs> right. It's pretty soggy and It's pretty muddy. soggy. Yeah. It's muddy. In fact, I have to share just a tiny little bit of a blog post that I read. It's on the On Being blog. And I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with the On Being podcast by Krista Tippett. It is one of my very favorites. I think Laura has said it's her oh, actual yes. favorite. Yes. It's all about um, spirituality. It's really deep. It's really profound. And so one of their columnists for their blog, his name is Parker J. Palmer. He lives in Wisconsin. So he knows this exact same lesson of the season. And he writes so beautifully, like about early spring being just mud. He says, you know, I've walked through early spring fields that will suck the boots off your feet. A world so wet and woeful, you yearn for the return of snow and ice. (laughs) <laughs> that's, I was like, yep. that's pretty intense. <laughs> I've been there, you know, but saying like using that as a metaphor, we all go through seasons like that where we're like, this is just, there is nothing good here. But slowly out of that mud births miracles. Yes. You know, things come out of it. It's tentative, but spring never fails to come. There is growth that happens out of those hard things, out of that muddy, gray, miserable sort of a season. And he says, you know, his personal winters turning slowly towards spring. It's as you see it happen outside your window, it gives you that kind of hope that life is changing. I'm Mm -hmm. not stuck here. Um, What can I appreciate here? And then eventually it blossoms into this riot of joy. In fact, he says, this is again from the blog post with Parker J. Palmer. He wrote, late spring, which here in Minnesota, we're almost, we're like on the verge of late spring. Okay. With the world in full bloom, it isn't even easy to write about. The season becomes so exuberant that it caricatures itself, which is why it has long been the province of poets with more passion than skill. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great way to say it. Oh, I love that line. <laughs> Their poetry is sappy, but maybe that's the point. Why not embrace spring's hyperbole? Life is not meant to be forever measured and meted as winter compels us to do. Most of the time, it can and should be spent in a riot of generosity as we, like spring itself, throw caution to the wind. And that's why, even though it's my fourth favorite season, it maybe teaches me the most. Because that's true. And we all need those reminders that it will change, that out of the mud comes beautiful things. What about Oklahoma, where you live right now? What would you say is your biggest metaphor? I think for me, I've thought about this a lot. This was a very deep, thought-provoking exercise. This was not something that I could just like say off of the top of my head. I really, really thought about some different aspects of, of what I see in Oklahoma and how that is reflected back in my life. And what I landed on actually unintentionally kind of mirrors what you were just saying. So in Oklahoma, our state's economy is highly dependent upon and deeply interwoven with the energy industry. Mm -hmm. So however, the price of oil and natural gas is doing, which tends to be way, 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 way up or way, 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 way down, that kind of, that definitely fuels the economy in our state. And so our state has a long history of boom and bust. 
And so when the energy industry is doing really well, Oklahoma is booming and there's growth and there is all kinds of exciting things happening and money is flowing freely everywhere to everyone. (laughs) It's a great place to be. And then as always happens, we go through a time of bust. There was a really big bust of the energy industry that affected Oklahoma in the 1980s. And because I was born in 1977 and grew up in small towns in Oklahoma in the 80s, I saw that in a very tangible way of what happens when the economy itself pulls down and how things start to fall apart. Businesses close. uh, People leave small towns and leave the state altogether to go where the work is. And so having an understanding of boom and bust in life I think I've incorporated that into my life in so many ways that just that natural recognition of the patterns and the cycles of life and knowing that just because you go through a bust doesn't mean that things are going to stay busted. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So that if you're willing to wait for it, if you're willing to work for it, sometimes another boom can be around the corner. And I say, think about my own life. Certainly, I may not have seen this as strongly in my childhood, but then moving into adulthood, as is the case, like you were just talking about, depending on your season of life, there have been times that have felt very much like a boom, like everything was booming and going wonderfully. And there have been times that felt like a complete bust, like when Kyle left football coaching, um, college football coaching after 11 years and started a career in the investment industry in 2008 when the actual economy was tanking. And, (laughs) you know, we had left coaching to protect and grow and nurture our family and our marriage, especially. And then we moved straight into this incredibly stressful time that had us like questioning on the deepest level, what are we doing? And why did we do this? And did we make the wrong decision? And it was a time marked by bust for sure. But as we have held on and things have changed and turned around and um, Kyle's gone out on his own in business, things have turned around as they do. And, you know, following when the twins were born and I had postpartum depression so badly and I just could not see that there was ever going to be a light at the end of the tunnel felt like a huge bust. And then as they've grown into toddlerhood and we have really, really settled into the rhythms of having four kids, of having two little boys running around, and we've moved more back into that boom time in our life. I think that that is just the boom and bust and just knowing that just because something's really, really great doesn't mean it's going to stay really, really great forever and to be prepared for that eventuality so that when things are feeling really, really wrong or out of place or difficult to know um, that that's just a natural part of life and to hang on because the next turnaround is around the corner. Well, Kelly and I have thought about a lot about how specifically the things that the the parts of the uh, geographical location that we are in now and where we've grown up how those kind of shape us. And we've thought about that there's actually like three different ways that they that those things form who we are. There's the climate of where we are right now. There's the culture and there's the characteristics of the people. Now, Kelly, as our resident weather nerd, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about climate. It may reflect back on what you're saying about seasons, but I would love to hear about how climate has affected who you are, both maybe in Minnesota and in California and all of the places in between. Right. I mean, we have lived a lot of places. I would say that California, San Diego in particular, and Minnesota, um, the Twin Cities area, so both more in an urban sort of this setting as well, those are the places that have shaped me the most. So I can only really speak to those areas. But I mean, I, I do think that Minnesota's climate, we've talked a little bit about the reality of it. And, you know, the metaphor of seasons is so powerful to me that that is probably the way that it has shaped me the most. Um, I would say going to San Diego and really growing up in Minnesota, I did not appreciate the metaphor. (laughs) You know, I was like, I do not like winter. I do not appreciate this. I do not appreciate not being able to look cute. I do not appreciate having to get into a cold car. And I so badly wanted out. So I do love California. That's where we eventually ended up after a short stint in Phoenix. I would say that the climate there also taught me things, even though it's almost the polar opposite of the climate here. I would say at the end, what it taught me was how much I actually do need this climate. Right. You know, just being sometimes in something different 
it prepares you and enriches you to be able to see what you really do want. Not that that isn't what you want in one hand, but maybe what, maybe it's a better way to say it. It's what you need. Um, So living in San Diego, perpetual summer, which summer is still my favorite season. So it's perpetual summer. It never ends. It doesn't change. Eventually I started to say, and I'm not alone. A lot of my friends that had come from other places, the U.S. to San Diego, we would quietly whisper to each other, I'm tired of 70 and sunny. Like, I <laughs> yes. want a thunderstorm. There are no thunderstorms right. there. You know? yes. Like, I want something different. I right. want, like, we, we kind of joke, and even native Californians, they get this. You know, one of, if it's one of the five days that it's actually going to rain, you're like, quick, go home, make the stew, bake the bread, light a fire. <laughs> the only day we're going to have to be cozy. You know, we would light a fire and then have to turn the air conditioning on. Yes. <laughs> Like, dang it, it's rainy. I want to be cozy. Just one day, people. Just one day. Right. Um, so it taught me how just having the same all the time maybe isn't what I need. Right. As much as even though it is beautiful and all of those things that it is. Um, I would say those are the the biggest things that the climate has had on my life. What about you? Yeah. So, I mean, we have a little bit of everything in Oklahoma. Definitely. We have tornadoes being in Tornado Alley. That is a fact of life. I went into a uh, cellar for the first time to uh, hide from a tornado when I was six years old. And like you just grow up. It's just normal. That's true. It's a normal mm-hmm. part of life. Your thunderstorms, like you were talking about, like really legit will blow the limbs out of your trees, kinds of thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have heat waves in the summer. We have ice storms in the winter. We now have earthquakes. And so I think from the climate, I think that you just kind of grow up realizing the importance of being ready for anything. And just kind of staying open to that and just knowing that anything could happen. And I mean that in a very literal sense of like, you know, carry an ice scraper in your in your car and an umbrella and all of these things. But just, you know, in a larger sense, too, to stay open. And no matter where we live, whether we're living there by choice or we are placed there, that there's things about where we live that we can either really resist and grumble about, or we can really surrender to what those things are. And I think that thing of just like being ready for anything is a big part of what the climate here has taught me. I know that sounds a little silly, but it's really true. No, no, that's that's very true. I think that that's something that Minnesota and Oklahoma have in common, you know, kind of that extremeness. Yes. It really does teach you to say, okay, how am I going to adapt? How am I going to be ready? Um, Like you said, you have to be ready for anything, but also just to say, can I embrace this? Can I, can I make this a part of who I am? And the resiliency of that, I think is a really profound lesson. Yeah. Well, here's what I do not know much about at all, because I do think of weather when I think of Minnesota, but I really don't know much about the culture in Minnesota that, especially as it would have an impact on kind of who you have become as a person. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. And you know, as I've been thinking about this, it is so interesting to me, you guys, I could so geek out on this sort of thing, this kind of sociological, because really place and culture can't be separated from the people. Oh, it's like, so true. Yeah. Sometimes I think we think, oh, well, this is just who I am. or This is just how my neighbors are, my community. You don't even realize how much of an effect the place that you live with all of these different components, the climate, the culture, the char- shape, the characteristics of the people. So Megan, I don't know if you even saw this. It was just a couple of years ago. There was an article online and it seemed like it went a little viral where people were commenting on it. It was such a fascinating idea. And it was when somebody, he's actually a reporter in Portland, but he had written for Tufts University alumni magazine. The idea that America is actually com- Composed of 11 different nations, he called them. Oh, right, right. I do remember that. Yes. Yes. And so it's based on the idea that where we come from, how people moved into these different areas affects the people that we are, the culture that we live in. And so I thought it was super fascinating, like super fascinating. So I'll just give you, we will link to an article in the show notes, of course, if you want to read more about this. But, you know, some of the different ideas were like the far West is a huge portion of like the Rocky Mountains all the way into parts of California and Oregon and Washington. So like the far West would be valuing things like being far away from the East Coast, pushing back against that, being independent. You can understand why that would be. There's the, the left coast, which is like this very small strip all the way from 
from like Seattle down to LA. There's the Tidewater, the Deep South, Greater Appalachia. There's even parts what they call El Norte that have that real Mexican influence, you know, on the southern part of the country. Minnesota falls into an area that they call Yankeedom, which is really like the eastern seaboard, that, you know, northeastern area. And it kind of continues over in the north from Michigan, Wisconsin into Minnesota. And they say that because the people often came from the people who started our country, you know, they were radical Calvinists. They came Uh to our country to form a new Zion. So they have like a great emphasis on perfecting civilization because of through social engineering, denial of self for the common good is a high value, a big assimilation of outsiders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Education then is like huge intellectual achievement, communal experience, that sort of thing. We vote like the highest in the country always because we have a huge value on that. And then the way it shows up in government, you know, we kind of a little socialist. We we want to really come together for that common good. So again, a lot of Minnesota is even Scandinavian. And that same idea that you would maybe pay higher taxes. We are a very high tax state, but for the common good, for education, for libraries, for parks and outdoor areas, that we're okay with that. Yes, yes, yes. That's so great. I am so glad that you're going to give us the link because I want to go back and revisit that. I find that stuff fascinating. So I'm sure other people will want to check it out as well. So So I have a lot of thoughts about Oklahoma culture. Like, you mentioned the cowboy thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really do. I think that our agricultural roots here, a connection to the land, both because of uh, because of how much agriculture there is and, and ranching and farming, also, again, that Native American influence. I think that a lot of those converge in a love of the outdoors. Oklahomans love to go to the lake. We have lots and lots of lakes to go to in Oklahoma a lot of my friends love to go camping. Now, Kyle and I are terrible at that. We kind of hate it. We are creatures <laughs> of comfort for sure. And so we're not big into that, but lots of people love to go and do outdoorsy things, particularly in the summer when it's so beautiful and so fun to get outside. So when I was growing up in Oklahoma, the fact that there were a lot of Native American people here, like almost everybody here, if you you know just scratch them, they're going to bleed Native American blood of some kind of one of the tribes that was just sort of taken for granted and not I mean, it was just like a sort of thing like, yeah, that's a thing here in Oklahoma, because of the way American history played out. But now that the those Native American tribes have really taken over their own governance, and have become sovereign nations that have their, you know, to varying degrees here in Oklahoma, I'm seeing a resurgence in that celebration of the diversity and the Uh, uniqueness and the independence of the Native American people that are here. And so that's been really great, a really cool thing that I'm so glad that my kids are in this state now growing up and experiencing that way more than I feel like when I was a kid. So there's that aspect of it. Now, on that flip side of that coin, when it comes to diversity, unfortunately, I think sometimes Oklahoma culture can can tend to be a little bit homogenous. There's, you know, the prevailing emphasis on church and Christianity and on the sort of more, um, well, just white way of living. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Unfortunately, sometimes is the prevailing cultural thing here. But again, I do see more and more people, my generation and younger, who are really interested in uh, moving beyond those cultural boundaries and really celebrating what else is out there. I find that so encouraging because now I feel like even though I was raised with a certain perspective on life, a certain view on how the world is and how the state is, now as an adult, I feel like I can push back on that and still call this place home. I can be here and maybe not necessarily agree with everything culturally, but I have that um, freedom to push back and to uh, really put words to things that are important to me now that are different from when I was growing up and still be accepted, maybe slowly, maybe not always right off, you know, right at first, but that I see change happening that is very exciting. So again, I think that it's such a balance between resisting what is in place and then kind of surrendering to what you can learn from it. And I'm definitely learning more and more and have learned since we've been back in Oklahoma after our uh, time in Texas, how to 
be friends with and not just like tolerate, but like truly develop deep friendships with people with whom I have lots of disagreements on a variety of topics, but still be able to grow that friendship. So that's an interesting part of how culture is playing out in my adult life here. Right. And I think that it just does fit perfectly with the idea of culture, the past, maybe you push back against it, but you grow hopefully to be able to say, how can I embrace it and then also move forward? Exactly. Because I I would say Minnesota is the same way in the sense that it was very white, very white, but increasingly, and I think most of the U.S. is this way. And I am so glad, especially after having been in California for 10 years, where being a white blonde girl, I was so far in the minority so far in the minority. And I enjoyed that. I mean, just maybe that's just part of my personality, but I love variety. I mean, even that, that was part of the thing with the climate. Like there was not enough variety in the weather in San Diego to keep me like buzzing along. So I'm so glad that now that I'm back in Minnesota, that our culture is embracing all the time, more and more diversity, not necessarily saying, well, we can't celebrate our Norwegian Scandinavian heritage. But that we can also add to maybe bring back in some cultures because we have a large Native American population as well that were you know, subjugated and pushed over here and, and welcoming them back. And I, I'm so glad that that is a new part of our culture. I think that's a great way to thrive yes. in how our culture has made us who we are, but we don't have to stop there. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. That's such a great point. Okay, well, let's talk about the characteristics of the people because that, like you said, they're really, they're so interwoven, the culture and the characteristics Mm -hmm. of the people, but I would love to hear a little bit more about how that uh, approach to life in Minnesota, that how it shaped the people that are there and how it's shaped you as a person. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially in California, when I would say I'm from Minnesota, they immediately went to the movie Fargo. Oh, right. And they're like, oh, can you talk? Can you talk like a Minnesotan? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can. I can. You know, like, okay. All right, then. Oofda. You know, all the things. So that was, I think, when you talk about the people, traditionally, if you saw the movie Fargo, I didn't. I just had all my friends describe it to me. And that yes. was horrifying enough. <laughs> they were like, and then with the foot and the wood chipper. <laughs> And I'm like, well, wait, what? You're laughing? Foot in the wood chipper. Freaking me out, people. Right. That stoicism, that sort of, I can just take this and I'm going to bounce with it. You know, the accent, kind of the flat line. And there's a reason for that, as we've said. All the Midwesterners, or for sure Northerners, are going to laugh right now at what I'm going to say. They're probably thinking it already. I think the thing that people think of in Minnesota is Minnesota nice. It's this phrase. I don't know if you've even heard it. I haven't. But it generally means people are very polite here. They're very nice, except for when you're merging in traffic, then they like lose their ever loving minds because they don't know how to do that. But otherwise, they're very kind to people, very welcoming, very polite, not in such an all-inclusive way, maybe as Southerners, um, but they're going to be very, even if they're ma- you're like making them mad, they're not going to respond outwardly ah, right? Yes. and mad. Now, the, the dark side to that is kind of the passive aggressivism. Uh-huh, yes. People are like, yeah, so they say Minnesota nice and then under you know the surface, they're not thinking good things about you. And that might be true. But right. those are kind of the, the stereotypes, I would say. I would say really the characteristics of the people that I live with and I'm around and the reason I love being here because I want to be more like this. I think that winter makes us innovative. Oh, yeah, and that's good. As a people, we have a ton of Fortune 500 companies that are based in the Twin Cities. Um, There are really creative enterprises always happening here. In fact, I always joke, this maybe isn't the best example to point toward our creativity. But if you remember Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh my gosh, yes. Remember the show? All-time favorites, yes. Started in a basement in Minnesota. Uh And that's completely the Minnesotan ethic and vibe of Hey, it's winter. I know what. Let's like give other lines <laughs> to stupid science fiction movies. That'll be fun. Right. And that's kind of how we think. You kind of have to like and sometimes like winter, I always say, makes you a little crazy and forces you to make up your own humor or to to deal with it in some way. So I think people here are very innovative and creative. And then, of course, there is that love of the outdoors that everybody seems to share. And because of the extremeness of our seasons, there's a little bit of a bring it on Ah, sort of an attitude. Yeah, You know, fighting ourselves and the fact that we can survive these things, that we can do it. 
you know, you mentioned camping in Oklahoma and I was thinking almost everybody in Minnesota at some point, even if they haven't gone, they know somebody who's gone to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, which is an area on the very northern border of Minnesota. They actually share it as a park with Canada. It's called the Quetico in Canada. And it's this region of mostly lakes and rocks and huge, huge wilderness area, pristine waterfalls and nature and rocks and pines and loons and fishing. You are actually, at least I think in both parts, the Canadian and the U.S. side, you're not allowed to take motorized watercraft. So it's all canoe. Oh, how gorgeous. Um, yeah. you, there are you know, no campsites in the sense of, you know, there's porta potties and showers. Like you are bathing in the water. You are drinking from the water. You are bringing in your own toilet paper. But it's extreme camping in that sense. Yeah. But I think a lot of Minnesotans do it because, A, you get to see that pristine, beautiful wilderness. And it's like a, a point of pride. Yeah. Like this is what we value. We value the fact that we can do this. Not in a total Alaska, we're going to do this on our own sort of way. Our value is similar, but a little different in maybe its motivation. But that idea of I'm going to go treasure the silence, the solitude, or be with my friends and family, um, really take in the beautiful area that we live in and treasure that um, and do it in a way that makes me struggle and grow a little bit, you know, stretch and strain, but then develop new muscle and be proud of that. I think that's how I would say the characteristics of Minnesotans, the, the good characteristics. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> what about Oklahoma? Well, here we have something that we call the Oklahoma standard, which really came into being after the Murrah uh, building bombing in 1995. And it, it comes into play even now, when uh, a major catastrophe occurs, especially uh, like a major tornado going through a highly populated area, lots of destruction and damage and, and death, that when these things happen, this idea of the Oklahoma standard is that you stop what you're doing and you go help. You mm -hmm. do whatever you can. And I love that. I, I see it so often in the people that are here. And, you know, we see it in these big catastrophe kinds of ways, these big, like, heartbreaking tragedy ways. But I also see it right here in my neighborhood. You know, like, if anybody needs anything, something simple like a cup of flour or could you, you know, my, our alarm is going off, we're out of town, could you go check it out and see if everything's okay? To, I mean, just everything. People will stop what they're doing and help when asked for help. Or even if they, you don't even have to be asked. If you see a need, you stop what you're doing and you go and help. And that is so pervasive, whether you're in a small town here in Oklahoma or if you're in one of our cities, that idea of the Oklahoma standard, I just, I love it. And I think that that has really shaped who I am as a person. It's shaped my husband, certainly. It shapes our communities. And I am so thankful. Again, one of the things that I'm so thankful for that our kids are growing up and experiencing is knowing that part of being a human being is that you step up when needed. And right. even if it costs you, even if you have to sacrifice, even if it's scary or risky, you go where the help is needed and you do what you can. So I think yeah. that's a huge part of the characteristics of the people here that I love and appreciate. And um, yeah, it's a really big deal. So as we finish up the show, I would love to hear, and I know Kelly would love to hear oh, too. Yes. Tell us about where you live. Listen, I know that we have listeners all the way from Afghanistan uh, over to Australia. We have people listening in Europe. We have people listening in South America, in Canada, all over the world. People are listening to Sort of Awesome, which we find absolutely delightful and yes. so very awesome. We are so thankful for the diversity of listeners that we have. So we would love to hear from you. Where do you live? What is true and accurate about where you live? And what are some of the silly stereotypes that are just not true at all? And also, we would love to hear how the place that you have lived, the place that you are right now, the spot on the earth that you are in, how it has shaped you, how you are standing in the place where you are. We just talked about Oklahoma and Minnesota and California a whole bunch. So now we want to hear from you. Where are you and how is it making you into the person that you are becoming? Kelly, if they want to find you on social media, where can we find you all around the web? On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Kelly at Lovewell. And on Facebook, I'm at facebook.com slash lovewellblog. And of course, on the Sort of Awesome group. 
That's right. Okay. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. Please do come find the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. And the show is also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.